Hello, everyone, and welcome to Well Played Podcast, a podcast all about playful learning. Together, we explore the power of learning through play and finding the joy in the journey. With me, I have Adam Powley, uh, Twitter handle at Mr. Powley. Uh, and why don't you introduce yourselves, Adam? Oh, hi, and thanks for having me on again today. Um, I am an 11th grade American history teacher in South Carolina. I'm the host of XP Lab Camp, uh, which you, yeah, good times. Uh, I'm, I'm trying a new thing where uh, you can sign up on my website. I have a form that you can, uh, I'll tag you in the question every week. So uh, if you're interested in do that, you can find that. And uh, speaking of my websites, I uh, do have uh, a new website I'm happy to announce. Uh, it's called classroompowerups.com. Uh, where I post my thoughts and blogs, uh, posts, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have people uh, come in and comment and uh, join in in this gamification journey. And for any of you that are just tuning in, catching Well Played for the first time, uh, you know, you guys got to check this guy's work out. This guy is epic. This guy's huge. Plenty of ideas. Uh, and always welcome here on the Well Played podcast. You've been here, I don't know, four or five times. Somewhere in there, yeah, four or five. That's uh, that's an impressive amount. Uh, so excited to dive into today's topic. Uh, today's topic, Adam and I are going to be talking about um, using the power of sort of mystery or the unknown to sort of heighten the sort of game's potential or our students' excitement. However you want to, however you want to twist it or bend it, but that's what we're looking at is you know this 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 idea of mystery that games have this this unknown. Um, Right, because like that that adds some surprise. I mean, if you think about our own lives, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to come around next. That's right. You know, like kids being born on Christmas Day. Yes, yes. My my little two month old decided to surprise us at one in the morning, <laughs> Christmas morning. It was a very exciting, very exciting present that uh, my old other sons got to see that day. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, do you have an example in your class, uh, maybe of something little that maybe anybody could kind of use that's dabbling in gamification, something that's not a large apparatus to use, but that would be a good example of this mystery? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, for a long time, uh, when I first started doing gamification, the first thing that everybody talks about is points, badges, and leaderboards. That's right. And, you know, I started off doing the same thing. I, I switched to XP and, and started doing points and, and figured out leaderboards. Um, and the badges always were there. And I and I would give badges. And some of the students enjoyed them. Some students kind of threw them in the garbage as soon as I handed it to them. Um, so one of the mystery elements that I've, I've been toying with is the idea of using badges uh, as a mystery tool. Um, I've uh, been calling them launch codes. I'm moving into a, a Cold War unit, which is all about uh, nice. you know, fun nuclear weapons and all. Um, used to be more fun to, to joke around about that. Um, <laughs> but the the students I'm now giving uh, a little badge. I actually have a picture of it uh, uh, on, on my uh, blog. Uh, the badge looks like um, a series of sort of alien alphabet letters. Uh, so I'm using a Masonic code. I don't know if you've run into these. It looks like a hashtag, and each uh, each box has a different letter uh, that it represents. So they on this uh, tag that they get, if they complete a, an activity, uh, they get one of these launch codes. And if they collect all three 
of the launch codes, it leads them to a Google form uh, that is a, a digital lock, which gives them this new reward. So uh, they don't get to play this little mystery element unless they collect all three or four of the badges for the unit. Uh, and then once that's unlocked, they get this special activity. And the, the best part about it is uh, I don't tell them what the special activity is. Uh, and I also tell them that there are dire consequences if they don't collect all the badges. <laughs> you you got to ha ham it up a little, right? Oh, oh, definitely. And, you know, these are 11th graders. I thought they'd find it a bit cheesy, but they loved it. Um, and the dire consequences part, you know, I had some students that just they, they couldn't get their their homework done and they'd ask what the consequences are. But I had to be very vague and just say there'll be dire, dire <laughs> consequences. <laughs> dire. Yes, yes. Um, Humankind hangs in the balance. Exactly. So um, the the completion rates were really high for all the stuff that uh, we kind of have to do. It's a you know the it's a course with an end of course test at the end. So there's certain sort of mini things that we have to get through. Uh, so those low completion pieces, uh, the the completion rate was which much higher. And then uh, the the activity that was the mystery activity, we did a digital breakout. So the kids came in, and and that itself is another mystery element we we can talk about later. You know what's in the box at the end of the the game. So uh, right. how about you? Do you, do you have any uh, mystery activities that you like to incorporate? I definitely do, but I got to unpack what you just said a little bit because that's, oh, okay. Good. that's pretty cool. So uh, I think the one you're talking about is called the tic-tac-toe cipher, I think. It might be called the tic-tac-toe cipher. Um, when I search for it on Google, uh, it's called a Masonic, uh, M-A-S-O-N-I-C. Um and what I've done is I've modified it a bit because I've used it a couple of times. So the students know when they see those little lines and dashes what it is. Uh, so you can switch the letters up. So you need to have a, a cipher in order to break it. Uh, and I like using these little puzzles and ciphers um, in order to, to add that little, little bit of challenge to uh, some of the activities that the kids know are coming. Awesome. One of my faves, if you, if, so if you're not using it, check out the tic-tac-toe cipher, or it can also be called the pig pen cipher. Um, I've heard of that one, yeah. And super easy to use, super easy to teach the kids, but incredibly powerful. Like, you could make it uncrackable, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, check that one out. I love this idea because you've also, like, wrapped your theme into it. You know, like, you're calling them sort of these launch codes, you know, or even if you just call them security codes or clearance codes, whatever. But it like it's that little element of theme applied to it that just that just amps it up a little bit more. And there's the the mental implication of severity, right? Because this is nuclear weapons. Like so, you're you're like tricking the mind, right? Like the, the it, it's already epic because I need these launch codes. This is this is so awesome. And all you're doing is using vocab sort of around that to sort of amp it up, but add that mystery because there are these codes. We can't see what we got to see. We can't finish the mission, you know, all this stuff that just makes it, I don't know, more exciting. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I like building the theme into it. Um, simply to uh, the, so that we have a common language that we're all talking in the class. Um, my my students don't take notes; they they collect information. So they're I refer to them as collectors in the class. So you know, pulling that theme into it definitely does help. It does. It just amps it up. So for 
myself, um, mystery's all over the place. I got to say it's one of my, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say it's my favorite element, but it is one of my, it is definitely top three favorite things about gamification. Um, I've always liked surprises, so <laughs> building those into my game, it's just fun. But as a teacher, I have to say it's also freeing. To, to know that games are allowed to be mysterious, that things can change, that the, the rules do not have to be set in stone. So for those of you that are out there thinking about designing your own game or larger game, like Adam and I do, realize that by designing the larger game, you actually free yourself to have to be less sort of accurate with your game design because the mystery element, you could always change it, right? Like the second level, you could toss out the old rules and start the new rules, but just call it the new level. It's the new, oh my gosh, this is happening. Um, on that note, one big big one I do is uh, my year-long games, very cooperative. They're working together in their whole period as like a team trying to defeat the other periods. So real bonding. Um, but there's a time where I sort of turn it all up on its head and I sort of say that, you know, this shadowy cloud has come over the uh, realm of nobles and, you know, it's it's these dark times where, you know, we can trust no one and, you know, there's a lot of, like, problems happening and so it turns into this very individualistic section of my course um, and it coincides when I'm teaching China during the Warring States period. So this whole idea of like this mass civil war and chaos in, in uh, China and sort of the same things happening in the realm, like everyone's sort of vying to do the best they can do individually for that unit. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, that totally changes the nature of my game. I mean, like the game itself is almost on pause and it's almost a total different game. Uh, so that's a huge sort of mystery and it's, it's, a, it's abrupt. The students... That's my third unit, so it's like right as like you'd almost be in this like hum of the game. Like they they understand it, they've played two levels, they get it, boom, and then it's like an abrupt right turn. We change the rules on them. You know what that reminds me a lot of? Oh, actually, two things. Uh, the first is this game called Flux. Have you yes. played that? It's a card yes. game. Card game, great game. I haven't haven't played it yet. I've I've had some students talk to me about it. Uh, apparently the rules change with each hand or each round. So you might want to you, you start off by collecting like pink cards, and then the next like the next round, if you have pink cards, that's bad, and you're looking for like number cards. I forget. I don't know the exact rules. Um, there's some there's cards out on the table <laughs> that you can play out, and some of the cards are victory condition cards. Mm -hmm. And I mean this game can take anywhere from like one minute to thirty minutes. Because literally, like, the first card out could be, like, if you have the Space Shuttle card, you win. And it's like, oh, sweet, I have the Space Shuttle card, and the victory condition out is if you have the Space Shuttle card, you win. Um, I see. And, like, but if your turn's before me, you don't have the Space Shuttle card, you don't want to risk that one of us have it. If you have one of the end game win condition cards, you could play it down on top of that one. And mm -hmm. now the win condition is have eight black cards. Okay. Like, now it doesn't matter that I have the space shuttle card. I will have to look uh, through my Twitter feed, but somebody, I think it's Miss Garcia, um, has a, a nice explainer how to 
to tweak that to use it as a, a game for class. Uh, so students can actually make their own version of Flux, which is uh, something that would be an interesting little modification if you're into to creating your own good, uh, game designs. That sounds um, like another good, well-played topic. It, it does. We'll have to get back into that. Yeah. I'm going to write that down right now. The thing that uh, the other thing that it reminded me of was um, everything come back comes back to Mario for me. Um, but I remember getting really good at the first couple of levels of uh, Super Mario Brothers when I was like 10 years old. And then all of a sudden there's the water world. And I could never do the water world. Could never you know? swim that, that was, I could never <laughs> swim. It was terrible. I, I hated those levels and got through them as fast as I could. But um, the novelty of the different gameplay mechanics is is what kind of kept me coming back um you know that sports games are great uh like video games I, I love playing like the madden games and nba basketball but after a couple of weeks you figure out all the tricks and the game glitches and unless there's a new twist unless there's another level to go to um it gets kind of boring and redundant um so and i think classes kind of get the same way uh so if you go into a new unit or you're starting another topic um if you can add some sort of a twist uh that always buys in more engagement um thinking about different player types and i i've been writing quite a bit about that lately and it reminds me of the free spirit type that they're really interested in exploring how the game works um, they want to see sort of different ways that they can engage and different ways that they can play. Um, and then my favorite player type, uh, and I, I'm a fan of, um, Andrew Mark, uh, Mark Zuski, I think is how his name said, uh, his, his, uh, Hexad mm -hmm. and he has the disruptor type and, you know, we're disruptors, I think a little bit, we want to tweak the system and find the, the loopholes so that we can make the game better. Um, and I, I think the students want that too. I think they want to be able to, to find where the game's weak and where it's strong. And uh, if we can nurture that, and I have my students all the time helping me make the game better. So, yeah, I think that students like to sort of beta test. And I think that there's a tremendous amount of learning going on when you think about having to play with the game on top of playing with the content, right? Like testing out what this item does, figuring out these combinations that I didn't even think of. Um, mm -hmm. That's incredible too, you know? Um, but going back to your point about like school being, I don't know, epically long, right? Um, I, the other day I was driving in my car and I just thought to myself, you know, I, I've been at my current job for 10 years and I really feel talented with it, you know, like I understand mm. it. On the other hand, I also feel like, I don't want to say bored. I absolutely love my job, but like there is a cadence, a cyclical thing. Like it's like, okay, it's again my Egypt unit, you know, like I've taught Egypt 10 times. Um, and it just dawned on me that kids will go through 12 years at the same quote-unquote job you know like mm -hmm. grade school to high school and and like definitely there is difference between the first grade classroom and the 12th grade classroom but there are tremendous similarities between the first grade classroom and the 12th grade classroom right like they're chairs and they sit there and you give them tasks to work on and they work on them and then like you assess them and then you like give it back right like mm -hmm. my, my daughter's in first grade and like 
she has many of the same components that are in any of our classes. So it just dawned on me that like, man, that's really long, 12 years of doing the same job. I mean, like, so adding mystery, adding a little something unexpected at very least would be refreshing. Yeah. I, I have a great story about that, actually. Well, I was, uh, what was I doing? Oh, it was the uh, the Great Depression unit that I was getting to. And I've taught the Great Depression for 12 years. I, I've been in my current job for 12 years. And last year I wanted to, to switch This is your graduating year. This is my graduation year, yeah. <laughs> like... Wow, it's hard to think of it that way. Um, so we, I, I've taught this unit 11 times at this point. And I had been doing this new theme that, that I'm in my third year with this theme now. And uh, I, I wanted to add to it. And, and I had this, um, you know, the Jabberwockies. Have you seen them? That's the dance crew. And they have like the, the, the mask with like the blank face stare. Yes. And I, I bought one of those on Amazon. I just bought like a little $2 mask and um, recorded myself just in a trench coat in this mask. Uh, just kind of staring at the camera, kind of doing what we're doing, uh, a visual joke for the, uh, for the podcast, you know? Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, I'm staring at the camera and uh, I was able to record my voiceover and I, I worked it into an introduction to the class. So every class I have to stand up at the computer and I'm, I'm taking attendance and, uh, sometimes I'll have the projector on cause I'm ready to pop up just kind of a quick little two minute explainer. So while I'm taking attendance, um, I have the projector on, but it's actually a video that I've recorded ahead of time. And about halfway through about 30 seconds into me taking attendance, um, this character breaks in and starts like giving demands to the students uh, that they had to, to figure out how to break out of this uh, breakout box. Uh, so he hidden this this character had hidden um, clues throughout the room. So the students had to go and find the clues sure. uh, to, to, to unlock the box to get to whatever was in the box. Um, I, had, I did this in five different classes. Two of the classes just loved it. They thought it was the best thing that they'd ever seen. They were excited. Um, two classes were just kind of okay. And then they got into the, uh, the actual breaking of the box, finding the clues around the room. They were just excited to, to get out of their chairs and move. And the fifth class was, they thought I was being kind of corny, but, uh, even then afterwards, I heard him talking about corny, Mr. Powley and, and how goofy that was. And some of the kids were, uh, after the fact, they really got into it. Um, but it was the, adding that little layer of novelty to it and then having the breakout box with the mystery inside. Uh, and my favorite part of the breakout box, have you done breakout games? Oh yeah. Yeah. My favorite part is I never put candy in the box, but the students always think there's candy in the box. Um, <laughs> they they so always do. They, they always, always do. think there's candy, but I tell them I, I'm too cheap to buy all that candy. Um, so they, they work so hard to break the box, to open up candy and it, it's never candy. Um, <laughs> but it, so I always think it is. You, you would think they'd figure that out by now. Um, I, I'm, I did buy candy the first, first time I did this, um, this year I had the students, uh, we started off the semester uh, with a little breakout game. It was literally one lock and they had to break out. Uh, and when they opened it, they got a choice, which is the other thing I'm really big about in the class. They, they get a choice. Um, they could either get one of my power cards, which has things like, um, you know, you get one free question on a test or I'll eliminate two answer choices on a couple of questions, or they can get a piece of candy and 
uh, out of 80 students that that opened the box, not one of them took a piece of candy. So wow. I had two giant. I know I had two giant bags of candy. Not one of them took any candy. So now maybe, I, I keep... maybe this is why they think there's always going to be candy in there because they have these two bags you haven't used. <laughs> maybe I ended up giving it away to, to other teachers because they needed candy. They don't know that. They're like, where's all that candy, Mr. Powell? That must be what it is. That That's the mystery. <laughs> yeah, give it to me. Um, and those are some good examples of mystery too. Just the breakout box and just kind of wondering the mystery of doing something different in your class. Um, I know we've talked about it before on this podcast, but just a good reminder. Another mystery that I like, and you have to spend a little money on it, but... It's not that bad. I think it's like seven bucks for like 500 of these things or something. But is the scratch off stickers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you can print. I usually print on cardstock something with like a little circle that says what it is inside the circle. And then the rest of it is like a cool image, you know, like a treasure chest or something. And then you just put this round sticker over the round, the, the circle that says what it is. And now you have a scratch off. And so then at various points during my game, kids can earn sort of this random ability to like hopefully find an item in a forest or something like that. And then they can go to, I have these themed out. So like then there's a hundred ones with forest graphics on them and they can grab one of those and scratch it off and hope they found something. Um, I'm too cheap. I will admit to do like the true like lotto idea. Like I have, thought of like putting two or three of those stickers on one thing and the, oh yeah i see what you're saying then they yeah. only scratch one of them but ah it's too cheap <laughs> maybe you just need to have like a quarter it's you know like <laughs> they can only scratch off a, a corner of it or something yeah uh, i get around that actually with uh, dice rolls so i bought a bunch of uh, like d20s with the 20-sided die mm-hmm. and then i have um a key. So if they roll a five, they get one card. If they roll a 15, they get a different reward. So it's, it's similar in the sense that it's like a hidden thing and it's random. Uh, so they get to, to, they, they like that mystery as well. The, the, the chance of, uh, getting something that they normally wouldn't. I like it. I, so on mine, I mean, the nice thing is you can put whatever you want on those cards, but pain in the neck is you have to always make those cards so having that kind of key with the die not bad not bad um so i mean mystery as as we've sort of unpacked here can be big can be like a change of all the rules and turning it upside down like mine mystery could be just that you're adding one new element mystery can be that they don't know necessarily those launch codes you know when you get little bits of them they only have a little kernel of an idea. Um, but mystery also is like sort of a powerful feeling, a powerful motivator. It's a, um, I don't know, it sort of agitates the mind a little bit, like in a good way. Well, I think in our, our binge mode culture, uh, right, is that's why you're always waiting for that next show on Netflix. You want to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's a, that's a good comparison, right? If it's like that Netflix where you say you're going to watch one episode, but then that episode always ends with like a what? And then you just have to load the next episode thinking it's going to resolve itself and it doesn't. You're just like, 
Oh no, there's there's a, it's always the next one. Yeah, You're looking for that next little mystery. That's um, right. I've tried to tie that into my uh, uh, my flip lessons. Um, so I I have like 20 minute videos a week uh, that students have to watch, uh, and then they take notes, and then we can do more fun stuff in class. Uh, so like every two or three minutes uh, in the recorded lectures, uh, students have to, uh, students get like a little piece of the narrative. So if they want if they watch all of the video. Uh, then they they get the full narrative, uh, which ties into the theme of the class. Um, it's it's based on this uh, running app called Zombies Run. Yeah. Where while you're running, yeah, yeah, you, and you get like every two or three minutes, you get the little piece of the storyline. Um, some of my kids are totally into the narrative, and they they will watch those videos uh, simply for the fact that they want to hear what's coming up in the the next little piece of the the storyline. So I will admit something rather embarrassing, but the town I live in has seven hills, so it's really hilly. And Zombie Run doesn't take into account hills. Like it just it's just distance. Just distance. So then it's like, you know, go go to the marina and pick this up and you're like, that's down two hills and like up one, you know, like you're like, Good lord. So while like in one run I might have done like two miles, but it's like with crazy elevation change. <laughs> well, the first time I did it, I run through my college campus and um, the, the little lady in the earbuds said, there's there's zombies coming on your right. And it actually moaned on the right side of my head. And I, I literally flinched in front of a group of, of college kids. <laughs> I'm sure that, that I'm the weird guy that's running through their campus. So, yeah. But actually another good example of uh, mystery though with uh, – that whole game, like you don't know what's coming and, you know, you just have to kind of keep playing and with any sort of mystery and my students are used to this, I do these challenge activities and they know with these challenge activities that there's the base challenge of the activity itself. So, uh, for example, we did a build challenge the other week. So it was just some Legos. They had like 25 minutes to build these four scenes or whatever. And usually time's pretty tight. Like they get it done, but there's like two minutes to spare, maybe a minute to spare. So pretty tight. But the kids have learned to be pretty agile because they know I'm on top of that challenge. I'm going to throw them some twists and turns. And so the other week, I just needed them to be less efficient was my goal. <laughs> so uh, I made each team pick one person to come like to me. And then my room's in like the middle of the hall. So like you'd have to go 50 feet or whatever, 75 feet one way to be the end of the hall, 75 the other way to be the other end of the hall. Mm -hmm. um, so I had these four captains, as I call them, have to go to one of the ends of the hallway and then do the wheelbarrow with the other person <laughs> all the way back so that each team was down one player, thus making their teams inefficient for a good like couple minutes uh and right like the kids absolutely loved it and it's just it's diabolical making kids have to oh, do yeah. the wheelbarrow like it's not fun but they're laughing and the other kids that were left behind are laughing because they know what's going on uh some of the kids got up to like look in the hall which only like served my purpose more because they became more inefficient in the task at hand so 
it's just interesting some of the like little twists and turns you can add like you said it really spices it up and it's it makes it sort of memorable like when i think about your breakout box and how like that fifth class kind of was saying like that was corny or whatever you know though that's a memorable moment though like they might be giving you a hard time but like you related to them you you made something memorable for them and that's probably the only thing that they'll remember <laughs> in five years like do you remember that stupid video that uh but it, it did make it uh, a personal connection right it's that relationship building piece that we always talk about it's something that they know i'm willing to do now that's it and yep. now it's reflection time already i know it just... always goes so fast boom uh, so this one is a quote uh, by a pretty famous game designer, Reiner Knizia. This guy's like prolific in game design. He's designed something like 400 different games. They're crazy. They're awesome. Just check them out. Uh, actually, I also have a book by him right here. See, like you can, boom. Oh, look at that! An award-winning game designer. There you go. Uh, so he has his quote here. It says, when playing a game, the goal is to win. But it is the goal that is important, not the winning. How does that strike you? This is the motivation for almost everything I do in my class, right? The, it's not whether you win or lose. It's it's what you're learning along the way. Um you know that I I love competition and I love getting the students co cooperating in the competition, but it's the things that they're doing that I find more interesting. It's watching them as they figure out the puzzles or um, seeing students that normally would struggle to take a test becoming the hero as they. Uh, find the the clue that unlocks the box, which gets the kids not candy. Um, it's, you know, that it's, it's the, the journey along the way that's important. And that's where the true learning takes place. And that's where all the revision and the iteration and, um, all the important stuff, because once you've won the game's over and there's nothing more to do, um, you, you find a new game or you just watch TV. It, it's the goal along the way that that's so important on that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that that's, <clears throat> Well said for me, if I was to sort of twist it a little bit, um, he says, you know, the goal of the game, the goal of any game is to win. Like, that's fine. That's the finish line, as you said. Um, but it's the goal that's important. So it's just, it's this idea that, like, it is the wrestling through the problem. It is the churning it over and over and over and, you know, to hopefully, hopefully win the game, right? Like, hopefully... Mm -hmm end up on top but you're constantly trying to like optimize i guess your strategy so that in all situations you're doing the best you can do um mm. and i think that that's so powerful um because in our schools uh sometimes that finish line is so far removed. I mean, you're in 11th grade, but I teach sixth grade. So like mm -hmm. this idea of like, well, it's important because it's important for seventh, which is important for eighth, which eventually it'll be important for college. Like that's pretty far removed. Yeah. I, 
I, I would agree with that. Uh, I was actually just thinking that, um, you know, we love Michael Jordan, not because he, we don't remember him raising the flag or the trophy. We remember, you know, the, the cool dunks and the, the moves that he had getting to the rim, you know, that it's, it's the process along the way. Um, I was also thinking that, um, I, I lost my thought there. <laughs> not a problem. Got going with that and, um, Oh, um, I, I have students building their own board games now and they're trying to think of what the goal is for the game. And they have forgotten all about the fact that somebody needs to win and they're more interested in trying to figure out what is it that they're going to do while they're playing. Um, so for example, we have a, a, a group that's building a Berlin airlift game and, you know, they figured out that they want to answer questions so that one team can build the Berlin Wall and the other team, if they answer questions, they get airplanes that they get to like catapult over the wall that's being built. So uh, they're trying to figure out what the goal of the game is, not necessarily just how do you win the game, which I love makes it. sense. Works, yeah. works well with the quote. It sounds like another well-played podcast as well. We have They're stacking them up here. Uh, for everybody... List. <laughs> uh well for adam i just want to say thank you again for joining us sounds like you're going to be back time and time again to finish off this list i hope so <laughs> uh everybody don't forget to check out the show notes there'll, there'll be links to adam's website uh my website uh also check out uh explorelikeapirate.com for all sorts of more vlogs blogs podcasts also if you could do me a solid and subscribe to my youtube channel uh, putting out content weekly on there, usually once or twice a week. Uh, all sorts of things on gamification as well as just education. Uh, thanks for listening. It is truly an honor having you with us each week. For now, peace out.